0: This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here is your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome to this tiny spot in the podcast universe. Glad to have you here for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper and more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation, to explore how people create or build their businesses or innovate in their industries. This is episode number 78, Matthew Grishman. He was a high flyer in high finance. He had a devastating fall from grace. He has reinvented himself with a new book, a podcast, a speaking tour, and a method called financial sobriety. First, a bit about one of my favorite Instagram accounts and groups that I've been following these days. It's called F-Up Nights Sacramento, and um, it's actually spelled out. It's not just F-Up Nights. I'm not using the actual word, not because I don't like the word, because I do, but because this goes out on the iHeart Network, and I don't want it to get slapped with an explicit rating. (laughs) So F-Up Nights Sacramento is the Sacramento version of a global movement and event series that started in Mexico. Think of it like a TED talk, but about total failure. As the website says, it's the business that crashes and burns, the partnership deal that goes sour, the product that has to be recalled, failures in full, ugly, raw, and real detail. So the point is you go to one of these events and you watch these people talk about the most horrible failures. In their business. And I've been meaning to reach out to them because I already follow them, but I wanted to reach out because my guest today, he'd be a great person to have in on one of their F up nights in Sacramento. But first, a word about my sponsor. MyCECourse.com. It's a multimedia education option for state compliance, professional growth, and engagement. The courses are deep dives into specialized subjects while meeting all curriculum and legal requirements. Our custom LMS platform allows certification with the nation's most respected HR, legal, and state insurance agencies. With a team of attorneys, insurance professionals, and award-winning broadcast personalities, we make continuing education both informative and interesting with relatable, reliable, and targeted storytelling. Have you ever been in one of those mandatory HR things sitting at your computer bored to death? Well, you won't be that way with mycecourse.com. We just finished an educational documentary on sex trafficking. uh, Sex trafficking has been picked up by several trade groups. And our documentary on sexual harassment was just endorsed by the California Dental Board. So it's education that is compliant and relevant, mycecourse.com. Okay, to my guest now, Matthew Grishman. He is a wealth advisor, an author, a speaker, and the creator of something called Financial Sobriety. He says he was raised with big Wall Street ideals, and he spent 20 years trying to acquire stuff and conquer the world. And after a very hard fall from grace in 2005, he reworked his core beliefs about life and leadership and relationships and money. And those had run very deep in his character because because of his Wall Street upbringing. So what happened to him and how it changed his viewpoint and helped him reinvent and pivot, leveraging his skills and creativity to build something completely new, is the topic of our conversation today. Here's Matthew Grishman. Let's start by just talking about um, how you came to write financial sobriety. What was going on in your life when uh, you decided to, to put the just to put this down in words?
1: It, it kind of happened by mistake. It was really an accident. I, I didn't sit down with the intention of writing a book. I had I had kind of got to a point where I was working all these years for some of the biggest. Uh, kind of product manufacturers in the Wall Street world, and I, I had all this this time and experience that, you know, living living locally in a community, I wanted to be able to give some of that time and experience to the community. So I left, kind of working for the big Wall Street firms, and decided I was going to go into business for myself as a financial advisor. Only I had no idea what to do or or what to do with my time, for that matter. And one of my mentors, my my personal financial advisor at the time, had made a suggestion that I just sit down and start writing, writing about my experiences, writing about my life. And so it, it really became this kind of just daily practice of sitting down and, and writing about my past. Uh, he started forwarding me articles about money issues and what was happening in the world. And I would start commenting on it and, and putting up blog posts just about my thoughts. And, and they always seemed to be thoughts that challenged some of the conventional thinking that was being written about in some of the major media outlets. After doing this for a couple of years, Christina, what, what we started to realize was, wow, I've, I've got a lot of content here. What, what do I do with it? You know, I just, I didn't know what to do with it at that point. And one day, for whatever reason, I don't know why this happened. I decided to write about some of my most personal kind of financial whoopsies in life and I just, for whatever reason, decided to put that out there, and I, and I put a little post in social media. It was called Confessions of a Recovering Wholesaler, and it, and it was kind of my true story about, you know, here, here I was on on kind of the speaking circuit in the financial services industry. I was working for the big product manufacturers, going around to conferences, speaking with financial advisors about how to how to do a good job by clients, how to offer them financial security in their lives, but yet when I was really honest with myself, I was a financial train wreck. You know, here, here I am talking out of one side of my mouth, telling people how to do the right thing, how to provide financial security. And yet I didn't even have it in my own life.
0: You know, we hear about this a lot with uh, people, you know, it's the hairdresser whose hair is a mess, (laughs) you know, or the doctor that smokes or, you know, we hear about some of these dichotomies in humans. What was, what was happening in your life that, that, that allowed that situation to arise?
1: Well, it, re- you know, it started when I was 16 years old, Christina. It, it, it goes way back. There, there was something that happened when I was 16 years old. There, there, there were only three things I wanted in my life at that point. The first thing was, was this beautiful woman, Amy, this, this girl that I had met. I, she had these green eyes that just knocked me on my butt, and I, I absolutely fell head over heels in love with her. And, and I knew that to get this, this girl, I'd need to take care of her right? I wanted to take care of her. And, and so the, the second thing I ever wanted was money, right? The, the more money that I could have, I could, I could buy this girl anything she wanted. And I, I remember my very first job, I worked at a sandwich shop in Schenectady, New York, making 3 bucks an hour. And when I got that first paycheck, it was $48. And, and when it hit my hands, it just something happened. It was like, ah, oh, it just it, it felt really good. But I also remember that that thought was, this isn't enough, I want this forty-eight bucks to be forty-eight thousand bucks, because if I could make a lot, a lot of money, then I could, I could take care of Amy, and and I'd be her hero, and then ultimately Christine, I'd I'd be able to look in the mirror and feel good about myself if that happened. You know that that was kind of the genesis of these behaviors, and and what happened from that point forward for the next thirty years, I I was on this relentless tear to just chase money, to make as much money as I possibly could. I mean, I was at a point by the time I reached my mid-30s where I didn't want to just keep up with the Joneses. I wanted to be Mr. Jones. It was was all about how much stuff could I acquire. I I would see my friends taking vacations, buying cars, building houses, doing all these things that I wanted to have because I wanted to be everybody's hero by by having all this stuff and, and living like a rock star. And it was just something that, that literally started as a teenager and 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 terrorized me for years, because even though I thought this was what I was supposed to be doing, something inside of me never felt right. It just it never felt right. I knew the truth inside of me, but yet it didn't seem to match the image I was trying to kind of put forth on the outside. It was almost like I was living behind a mask.
0: You know, a lot of people feel very similar feelings they see what their neighbors around them are doing what their friends are doing what their loved ones are doing and they think why not me why can't I go on that wonderful vacation or I mean and social media kind of feeds that as well to some degree so what separated you from them what made you um actually uh go forward with this and how did you manage to keep up this lifestyle where it was all crumbling behind you how did you sleep with, with knowing that things weren't going that well?
1: That's a great question. Uh, the answer is I didn't. I didn't sleep very well. I was, I was haunted for a lot, a lot of years, but yet I had a wonderful job with, with, with plenty of income. So ev- every time I would swipe my credit card or my bank would be out of money, I knew in 30 days there would be a whole fresh new deposit to kind of let me continue on with my ways. What what finally happened one day? Uh, it was it was in July of 2005. I, I was standing in my bathroom. I was admiring myself in the mirror, getting ready. I, I had a car coming to pick me up to take me to the airport. I was flying down to San Diego to be a keynote speaker at a big industry uh, a big industry conference. So I'm in, I'm kind of standing in the mirror. I've got my new suit on. I have this brand new two tone Rolex. I'm I'm admiring at the end of my wrist. I, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Uh, my wife, Amy was sitting in the bedroom behind me and she yelled into the bathroom. uh, Hey, Matthew, uh, did you happen to remember to get some cash out for me? I want to take the boys to Sunsplash this weekend while you're in San Diego. And of course, you know, I'd forgotten to do that. I was, I was so self-absorbed in the moment and and kind of this big performance I was going to have. So I went online, you know, this was, this was before uh, smartphones. So I went online just to look at our bank accounts to see where, where she could take some money out. You know, honey, you'll, go to the ATM on, on the way to fund splash. You'll, you'll be fine. Sorry. I didn't get to do that. And I'm sitting there, Christina, and I'm, I'm looking online and wait, what, what happened? What? No, no money. I was overdrawn on my bank account by $210. Hey, Hey, Amy, uh, something's wrong at the bank. I mean, I assumed it was a bank problem, right? There, there was no way I was overdrawn. I had, I had just gotten paid a week ago. And it was one of the biggest deposits I had ever had. I had over fifty thousand dollars in my checking account a little over a week ago. And now I'm overdrawn by two hundred and ten dollars. So what what I what I shared with Amy is, you know, this this must be a problem with the bank. I'll take care of this when I get back from San Diego. Let's just take a little cash advance on a credit card for now. Hang on, let, let me find out which which credit card is best to do it. Three credit cards I owned at the time. All three, Christina, were maxed out. The, the, the feeling that started rushing into my body at that moment, here I've got the love of my life, my two little boys, this, this kind of image that I've created about being this, this kind of rock star, this, this person that people could rely on, this person that is out talking about financial security to the whole world, and I'm completely broke with no purchasing power and no money coming in. For another month. The look on Amy's face when I had to walk in the bedroom and tell her that we were broke, it, it was one of the most devastating moments of my life. And, and the look on her face and, and the way her hands started trembling, all I could do at that point, Christina, was get in my car and drive. I had no purchasing power. I, I, I probably had half a tank of gas. I had no idea how we were going to pay for things, but all I could do was drive and try to think. I headed up Highway 65, which is a a two-lane highway near where I live in in Rockland, and it just goes on for days. And as I was heading up the highway, I kind of glanced up in the rearview mirror in my car, and I saw myself, and, and all I could see looking back at me was my $4 million company paid life insurance policy. And all I could think about was, Amy and the boys would be better off with that than with me. I was so upset with myself looking in the mirror, just calling myself all sorts of, you know, four letter explicatives and horrible things. And when I looked back down from the mirror and I saw a big rig truck coming my way, the thought crossed my mind where, you know, this this could really all go away if I just turn my wheel to the left a little bit. Mm. Well, thank, thankfully, that plan didn't work out too well because you and I are here having this conversation today. Uh, I don't remember what time it was when I got home. I drove around for a while, but it was nighttime, and I got home, and and there were Amy and the boys waiting for me with tears in their eyes, and, you know, Amy and I had some hard conversation that night. There was a lot of yelling, a lot of crying, but we finally put the boys to bed, and thank God for this woman. She took charge, and we sat down and and came up with a plan, you know, a kind of sort of plan, right? Ramen noodles and, and whatever cans of soup we have in the house. We're going to go on shutdown for the next few weeks until we can come up with an idea. But, you know, Christina, even though we kind of sort of had a plan, at least at least from from a perspective of being two inches in front of our nose and taking that next step on on how we get out of this mess. But every morning I would get up and I get in my bathroom and brush my teeth and look in the mirror and all I could see was that insurance policy looking at me. It was It was really, it was a tough time. It was a really, I was hopeless at that point in my life.
0: You know, as you're talking about this, I can only, uh, I, I'm thinking there are people who are listening to this that um, are going through that right now, like right now they are are at the very bottom that, that you went to. So I want to talk about how you got out of that um, because uh, the person you are today and the person you're describing sound like two different people to me. <laughs> so, so let's talk about um, the plan. What was the plan initially to get out of this?
1: The plan initially was just to, at first, just live on what we had already, the resources that we had already whatever food we had in the house, whatever, um, you know, what, whatever stuff we could do in the house to just occupy time and, and keep ourselves safe and fed. The, the next step was really about who, who can we ask for help? Obviously we had been doing things our way for a lot of years and it didn't work out too well. So we couldn't, we got into this mess ourselves. It didn't seem feasible that we could get out of this mess by ourselves, but yet I had created an image Christina, there was no way I could tell anybody about this. No way. But yet there was one man, one person, uh, someone who I had literally just met a few weeks before this. He was a financial advisor, someone that when I was working for the big mutual fund and insurance companies, I was trying to call on to be a customer of mine. My job at the time put me in front of a lot of different financial advisors Hoping that they would offer my solutions to their clients, he was one of those advisors. There was something about him. The first time I met him, a few weeks earlier, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but he—he he was one of those people that the first time I met him, I felt like I knew him my whole life. There, there was something mm-hmm. about him. It was an experience with another man I had never really felt before. It was just a, a, a connection, and I took a risk and I called him. I called him. His his name is Jim Gebhardt. He's he's my dearest friend and my business partner today. And I took a risk and I told him my truth. I got in my car. I drove 90 miles to see him in the Bay Area. Uh, I I had no purchasing power. I had no idea how I was going to get home. He actually wound up lending me $20 that day to put gas in my car. But I told him the story that I just shared with you. And what I was waiting for was I was waiting for my Catholic friend to almost like turn his collar around and start wagging his finger at me in judgment. That's what I was waiting for, but it's not what happened. What happened was he listened and was compassionate, and, and he told me something that, that completely changed my life. He said to me, you know, Matthew, I, I, I see what happened here. You, you, you fell in love. You wanted love. You wanted recognition. You, you wanted money, and, and you, you spent your life chasing money to take care of your people so that then you'd feel good about yourself. You know, you, you were really close. You, you just had that a little backwards. If, if we could figure out a way for you to take care of yourself, then you can take care of your people because you're good with yourself. Then the whole relationship with money piece gets a lot simpler. And the, the thing that he said next knocked me on my butt. He said, you know, this didn't happen to you. This happened for you. Wait, what did you just say? I mean, I, I was in victim mode, Christina. I was, I was feeling like I was the, the victim of, of horrific circumstances until Jim said that. Mm-hmm. And that was the statement that changed everything. That was the statement where I felt like, wow, I found the person that can really help me right the ship because he's created a safe place for me to just express myself. So and the,
0: the two of you then got to work on a
1: we plan? We got to work. We got to work. Yes. The plan involved some definite financial austerity measures, but what made that so much easier was when Jim took me through kind of a written and verbal exercise of getting very clear on the things that were most important to me in life, like at a core personal value level, core personal principles, things like family. We talked about how family was so important to me, and, and he continued to ask me, well, what, what does that mean? What do, what do you mean family is important to you? How does that show up in your life? Well, it's it's about having that intimate time with Amy and my boys to really observe and just enjoy each other's company and time and be with each other. Well, let's look at how you've used your money when it comes to your family in supporting those things. And we went through this kind of piece by piece with all the different aspects of my life and how I had used my money. And Christina, I was blown away at how much money I was using that was just squandered on meaningless stuff. That really wasn't important to me at at the core of it. And Mm -hmm. and when Jim helped me get some clarity on that, when it came to how I used my money from, from becoming more intentional about how I started saving it, when I became more intentional about how I used it and spent it, that became so much easier when Jim helped me get clear on the things that really mattered in my life. That was the key difference.
0: So the two of you worked on this book, which is now out, um, Financial Sobriety. Uh, tell me, I mean, it, it makes sense when I hear that term because I think, OK, just like an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction, um, there can be a, a money addiction or a success addiction. So talk, sure. talk to me about some of the core things you hope to do with financial sobriety.
1: Sure. That's I appreciate that we we like you, i've I've noticed that I'm not the only person who's experienced this before. as As I've shared my story with more people locally uh, around the country, more more and more people are coming to me and telling me their story about how hopeless they feel about how how hard of a relationship, how dysfunctional of a relationship they've had with their money, their entire lives. what What we're hoping to do with financial sobriety with with the book I've written, with the podcast, that's also out there called your financial sobriety. Uh, what we're going to be doing with different kinds of live events and, and online workshops is is we just we want to help a lot of people, Christina. We want to help people uh, really get in alignment with their finances. Really, really, kind of helping them come up with a plan and a way to to get that relationship with money in a healthier place. But what it really starts with is making sure that. I'm good with myself, being able to look at my life, forgive myself for the things that have happened in the past and get to a point where I can actually look in the mirror and feel good about myself. That mm. was a huge part of this process, a huge part. So beyond and, that, and oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and and, and once I I get to do that, healing the relationships that got broken with my people. I mean, my relentless pursuit for money wound up backfiring on me. It wound up hurting my relationships. It wound up leaving me feeling horrible about myself. So the the whole message behind financial sobriety is is about offering people a path, an option, uh, a number of options on how to go through healing some of the damage that, that they may be experiencing in these three relationships that they have in their lives as well.
0: So without giving, up, uh, giving away the, 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 the book, because I know this is a process. This is a process that you yeah, take it, people through. Tell me, yes. like, what would be the first step in, uh, in your method?
1: The first step would be literally to just sit down and breathe. I feel like so much of the financial stress that was in my life was because I was so stuck right now trying to handle all the chaos in my life at once that I didn't feel like I had room to breathe. And I used to use money as a way to try to make myself feel a little better from all of that stress in my life. It, it, Like you mentioned, it it was like the alcoholic who who needs that drink. I used money and buying stuff as a way to soothe myself. And it became very unhealthy. And Christina, once I got to the point where I didn't have any more money to do that. I started using things like food and alcohol to soothe, my, soothe myself. So you, you're, you're, you're right on with, with how this can become almost like an addiction. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the very first step is, is literally to just sit and breathe and take long, deep breaths to kind of create that space that allows you just enough space to figure out who's that trusted person that can help me with this.
0: Uh, I, the trusted person thing it seems key. So, if for, for people that are listening right now, if you could offer a couple of lessons from either the, the the method of financial sobriety or what you've learned since you've developed the method, what would those be?
1: Sure. Uh, for, first is just looking from a from a money perspective, Christina. If we can take some time to breathe, the 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 couple of early things I was able to do was both from a saving and a spending standpoint. There, there are two things we really talk about in the book, a couple of themes in the book and a couple themes in the curriculum that follows the book. When it comes to the saving piece, the very first thing I felt the need to do with Jim's guidance was create some sort of a rainy day fund, an emergency fund. When, when Jim asked me what financial security meant to me, it didn't mean so much about having lots of retirement dollars put away in my 401k or having my house paid off. It was a, simply a matter of having enough money sitting in cash in a bank account to be able to cover a couple of months' worth of expenses if, heaven forbid, I lost my job or if something happened in my house where I had to replace a, an appliance or the roof. Just, just having that kind of cash available, a couple of months' worth of living expenses so that that was important in the beginning. But to do that required me to change the way I went about spending my money on a daily basis. I had to be more intentional with that. So we talk a lot about this principle. I call it the 10-10-10 principle. And and what it applies to is that impulsive purchase. When I decide that, ooh, I need that thing right now, I have a tool in the moment that I now use called 10-10-10. To me, it's catchy. I need something like that that's catchy so that in the moment, when I'm in the moment of, the, of the, the damaging behavior, I can do something different about it. And what I do now, and this is what I encourage listeners and people who read the book to do, is apply this 10-10-10 concept, which is I impulsively need to purchase this right now. The first 10 is to stop. Put it down for 10 minutes and walk away. Come back to it 10 minutes later. The key in doing that, Christina, is that that 10 minutes of space allows that emotional angst that's driving you towards that impulsive purchase to maybe go away. So it might, when you come back to it 10 minutes later, go away all by itself. But sometimes it doesn't go away. So I need the second part of the 10-10-10 principle, which is, okay, I'm back in front of this impulsive purchase. The anxiety around this hasn't gone away. Should I make this purchase? What I say to myself next is, how am I going to feel about this purchase in 10 weeks? How am I going to feel about it in 10 months? How am I going to feel about it in 10 years? The reality is, if 10 years from now, this could be a meaningful purchase in my life, it's probably a no-brainer. You should probably have it. But if this thing won't even be a memory in 10 weeks, I automatically leave it alone. Where it can get a little grayer is the 10-month number. But the idea just being is that I have this tool now that when my old behaviors of of wanting to make an impulsive purchase, ooh, a friend of mine just posted something on social media about his beautiful new German sedan. I got to go get one of those, right? I've got to have that. Wait a minute. 10, 10, 10. Was that an impulsive comparison that because my friend has one, I have to have one? Or is it something that I really need? And that 10, 10, 10 tool, is what's allowed me to be more intentional about my spending, so that I can ultimately reach that goal of creating that emergency cash that, that is really important to my own financial security. And, and the good news is, Christina, we did it. It worked for us. That's great And I hope news. it works for others. Yeah.
0: Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time and your experience. I mean, it must be a difficult thing to talk about over and over again, the lowest part of your life, or, or maybe it's freeing to do it. But I think it is helpful for a lot of people.
1: Yes, it, it's certainly both. It, it, it scares me every day that I'm going out and telling some real truth that the whole world is, is going to hear. Uh, that that's hard. That, that scares me every day. I do it. It scares me. Uh, but at the same time, uh, a friend once told me I'm only as sick as my secrets. So <laughs> the, the, the more I share the truth of, of my life and see how that truth can potentially help somebody else who's struggling, uh, the freedom that I feel coming off my shoulders is, is amazing.
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, Matt Grisham, the, um, author of financial sobriety and where can we find the book?
1: Uh, You can find the book on Amazon.com. You can also go to our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. And there's links to the book. There's links to the podcast. And there's going to be links to the live events that we're going to be hosting in the greater Sacramento area.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Christina.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt Grishman. He has a podcast himself called Financial Sobriety. You can find it on all of your regular podcast platforms. You can Google his book, Financial Sobriety, and find links to all kinds of information. And there's a place to reach out and connect with him as well. And that group I talked to you about, F-Up Nights, check them out too. The philosophy is about removing the stigma surrounding business failure and providing open spaces to share Defeat ego and allow people to be more authentic and vulnerable and learn from the mistakes of others. And thank you for being here. Don't forget your mandatory training needs. Check out mycecourse.com. Tell your HR manager about it. It's already the training company of preference for so many government agencies and companies. And don't miss the KFBK Morning News, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Sam, Shane, and me, we're just two journalists with about six decades of news experience between us talking about the news with you every day. It's a very different morning news program, perspective, depth, analysis, and fun. And if you're in Sacramento, it's at 93.1 FM or 1530 AM. You can ask Alexa to wake you up to the KFBK morning news, or you can find us anywhere in the world on the iHeartRadio app under KFBK. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Christina Mendonza. This has been a fresh agenda. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is a fresh agenda.